This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 30, our preview episode for the International Liver Congress 2022. In this conversation, Stephen talks at length about one paper he found particularly compelling and important, which is OS025, Non-Invasive Fibrosis Scores as Prognostic Biomarkers of Liver Events, Cardiovascular Events, and All-Cause Mortality in People with Obesity and or Type 2 Diabetes in the UK, a Longitudinal Cohort Study. This is a paper that Quentin Anstey will be presenting, and it starts with a cohort of over 45,000 eligible patients who had measures available for non-invasive testing. In these 45,000 eligible patients, there were almost 1,000 liver events over a 10-year period, of which the most common was cirrhosis. What Stephen noted was that the paper breaks FIPS4 scores down into three levels, low, below 1.3, intermediate from 1.3 to 2.45, and high, above 2.45. The important thing about the paper is because it looks not only at liver, but also cardiovascular and all-cause mortality, it demonstrates the value of FIPS4 against all three of those measures. If you look at liver events over the next 10 years, 15% of the patients with high FIB4 had events as compared to only 3% with intermediate and 1% with low. However, in terms of predicting cardiovascular events, intermediate was 27%, the high was 33 and low was 11, thereby suggesting that for cardiovascular, intermediate scores might be almost as predictive as high. And when you looked at all-cause mortality, they were all spaced apart, 13% in low, 37% in intermediate, 61% in high. So Stephen commented that we need to find simple, non-invasive risk strategies we can use in practices to stratify patients, and we've begun to do that. So we should start thinking about how we can use those measures in clinical trials, knowing that when you don't try to tie a non-invasive measure to a clinical trial, but instead to a patient population, as in this study, you get a much more powerful result. Stephen goes on to comment that if you consider a blood-based non-invasive test and an imaging study, there might be exceptional predictive power far more than we found so far because we've been focused on comparing things to biopsy. Louise comments that if you take a look at the numbers in this program, given the level of childhood obesity in European studies and other metrics, that we are likely to see a decrease in survival and quality of life in the years to come if we don't get ahead of this now. In the end, the group goes on to focus on one or two other papers and events that we consider important. You're going to have to listen to hear all that for yourself. These conversations go into depth on some of the most intriguing issues today around patient screening, classification, and treatment. Some have conclusions that will change stakeholders' perspectives about NAFLD and NASH. So, sit back listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Stephen Harrison. Let me just try to just briefly go through one that I found quite interesting. This is um, one by Quentin Anstey's the first author. It's entitled Non-Invasive Fibrosis Scores as Prognostic biomarkers of liver events. Okay, that's not real exciting, right? Because we hear that all the time. But also cardiovascular events and all-cause mortality in a patient population of obesity and type 2 diabetes in the UK. This is a longitudinal cohort study. So it's a large study. Patients over 18 with obesity and or type 2 diabetes with a fibrosis score of greater than one were included. And a total of almost 45,000 eligible patients had measures available for non-invasive testing. The non-invasive test of record that was 
utilized in this particular abstract was FIB4. So of these 45,000 eligible patients, there were almost 1,000 liver events, of which ascites was the most common, cirrhosis next most common, varices the third most common. If you break the FIB4 score into its three different categories, less than 1,3, indeterminate, which is 1,3 to 2.67, and then greater than 2.67, you can begin to, to look at these events. And the really nice thing about this abstract is there are three different graphs, three different figures. One looks at liver-related events, one cardiovascular events, and one all-cause death. And so using those three cutoffs for FIB4, if we look at liver events first and the FIB4 is less than 1.3, only 1% of people had a liver-related event. And this is with like 10 years of follow-up. And if it's indeterminate, it's 3%. But if it's high, greater than 2.67, 15% of people over this time period had a liver-related event. That's the cumulative incidence. If you look at cardiovascular disease, the low is 11%, indeterminate 27%, high risk 33%. So again, showing that FIB4 can really begin to predict not only liver-related events, but cardiovascular events. And then all-cause death even gets wider. So it's 13% for low FIB4, 37% for indeterminate, and 61% for high risk. The conclusion here was that in a real-world population of patients with obesity and or type 2 diabetes and no other clinically recognized liver disease, the risk of a clinical event was significantly higher in patients with high versus low FIB4, highlighting the prognostic potential of FIB4 in this population. I think this is incredibly important because we are in the middle of a renaissance. And this renaissance is we want to move away from liver biopsy. We want to begin to find simple non-invasive strategies to risk stratify our patients, to prognosticate our patients. And we have begun to do that, but for a long time, we have compared these non-invasive tests to liver biopsy, which we know is an imperfect gold standard. I mean, people have used the term bronze standard. It's, it's not very consistent, lots of variability. So here we have a situation where we have thousands and thousands of patients followed for a decent period of time, and we're able to say the simple non-invasive blood-based biomarker can predict outcomes. So why can't we take that data, put it into the blender, and use that to help us in drug development, working with regulators to get beyond the biopsy and begin to use this to quantify risk and use it to determine whether a drug is potentially helpful or not. So there's a lot of applications, I think, that will be helpful and useful from data such as this. But I found this abstract to be, uh, in my book, one of the highlights of the liver meeting at Easel this year. This was my second favorite abstract. And for reasons you articulated, but also for one more, if you take a look at those three graphs again, right? If you visualize it in the liver outcome, indeterminate is very, very close to low. In the cardiovascular, it's very, very close to high. And in the all-cause, it's somewhere in the middle. I, I don't know exactly what to make of this, Stephen, but it struck me from looking at this that FIB4 had some impact specifically in understanding which people 
with fatty liver had relatively high cardiovascular risk. I mean, those lines are really close. It led me to believe that the word indeterminate is getting a bad rap here, frankly. What this shows is, and and this is with a single blood-based non-invasive test. Imagine if you put that with an imaging study, potentially what that could tell us. There's even more refinement that can be had. But this, this, as a first shot over the bow, I think is incredibly eye-opening and insightful. Louise Campbell. I think the thing that frightens me slightly when I look at this uh, in implication is when we look at our children and the amount of obesity in children. This is only a 10-year paradigm and yet we now have 8% of all children at 5 in Europe living with being overweight or obesity. This does not bode well for our figures and early mortality in years to come unless we really, really do start to change some of what we're doing now and the way we're managing. And going back to the previous one on quality of life, getting to the nitty gritty to primary care that actually it really, really does matter that we concentrate on what we've got now, which is lifestyle management and better information to get out. Because I just fear the quality of data that's coming out in this one and this prediction that our young generation are not going to survive very long at this rate. Jörn Schattenberg. Here really the, uh, the power of big numbers comes in and um, the, the authors and Quentin uh, in the lead should be congratulated for pulling that data together because it um, you know, gives us the number of events we're not seeing in these uh, smaller single cohort studies and also the follow-up is long enough to actually pick something up. And we, we have not seen a lot of those data sets. There's a lot of them from the Swedish registries that have linked um, electronic healthcare records and death certificates and it's good to see something here on this being replicated in the UK and uh, it informs us on the the size of the problem in, in Europe. I agree. So one last point about why I was heartened by this particular um, abstract. As we start to look at all the clinical care pathway recommendations and guidelines that are coming down the pike, they virtually, most of them are starting with FIV4, right? Grounds being it's inexpensive, it's easy to get your hands on, and it's got real strong, and it's got really good negative predictive value. But this says maybe it's even a little bit better than that, right? Liver, in fact, might be the place where, well, well on high, liver is very good. But if you use indeterminate also, that becomes pretty good on understanding cardiovascular. And if you go back to Jorn's comment on the previous paper, which is that a lot of this has to do with the intersection of diabetes and fatty liver, we know already that um, fatty liver disease predisposes a worse outcome in, to diabetic patients. And this says you can actually start to pick that off with a FIB4 indeterminate score. Maybe it means their liver isn't clearly in jeopardy, but it means that by not treating their liver, you're putting their cardiovascular system at greater risk. So it, it's a really interesting way to look at that population to me. And, and I think a lot of momentum we can take from it. And we are now at the bottom of our hour. So if anybody has any comments about other papers you wanted to mention briefly, for whatever reason, take a moment and do that now. Well, I, I would just say there's quite a bit of data coming out relative to uh, non-invasive tests that we didn't get a chance to mention today. Despite what we said at the beginning, there are some good clinical trial data coming out, many of which is embargoed and we couldn't speak about. So we do feel like this is going to be an incredibly informative meeting. I can't personally, I can't wait to get there, and not only to uh, see Louise for the first time, but uh, in person, but uh, also to uh, catch up with, with old friends and colleagues and see what the latest and greatest is that's coming out in liver disease, despite the pandemic and everything else. Couldn't agree more. I, I'm really excited about this meeting. And yes, I totally agree. The drug development papers we can't talk about that have been embargoed, the three that you mentioned, I think they're all very important and really exciting, or that you mentioned or whoever mentioned. But yeah, this, this meeting has a ton in it. And um, 
I will, I will be excited to get there. Uh, closing comments. Pick one thing we did not talk about today that's going to be in this meeting that you think is particularly intriguing. Just take a minute, make it brief, but just one point. Brave one, go first. I'll go first. The first day, and maybe Yorn is, you, you know, you're tied in more to the European meeting than, than I am, but um, it's one of these think tanks. And I, I haven't ever thought about uh, the think tank idea before, but uh, there there is one on fatty liver disease. I think it's the first day, like the 22nd. Uh, I, I just uh, am excited when I looked at the, the schedule there. I'm giving a talk there on mitigating screen fails in clinical trials. And that's just probably the least interesting of all of them. There, there are many, many uh, fantastic lectures in that session and in a great roundtable. So it's not presenting novel new data in a sense that you know, it's not a clinical trial, but it's how do we do what we do better? How do we do these clinical trials better? How do we you know, get more of the people that are interested in trials into the trials and across the finish line? So I'll just throw a plug for that. Well, yeah, that session has a remarkable cast of characters, Hugh Quentin, Vlad, Luca Valenti. I don't remember who else, but there are one or two others. I want to thank you for making me get up at 8.30 in the morning the day after I land while I'm brutally jet-lagged to go to that event, but I will be there. Let me highlight a session we're giving on, I believe it's Friday morning. It's kind of the follow-up of the early morning breakfasts that they used to have. It's on Friday morning, so it's, an eight, it's another 8 o'clock, and it's, it's called One or Many Fatty Liver Diseases, a Clinical Aspect Impact on, on Disease Heterogeneity. And there's a fellow um, that's going to be presenting a case, and then Hannes Hagstrom, uh, Luca Pei from France, and Dina Tiniakos are going to be discussing the different aspects of that case, making it very practical and hands-on, because there's so many aspects in, in fatty liver disease that might you know make the presentation and clinic a little different. What's the amount of alcohol, what's the genetic background, uh, does the histology tell me what this patient will experience, maybe it has a heterozygous change of H HFE gene polymorphism or alpha antitrypsin, and, and as such, um, we're hoping to highlight some of that heterogeneity that exists in, in clinical trial, uh, or not in clinical trials, but in clinical practice, and I think it's a, a great session where we're aiming to resolve some of those controversies. I think I'll jump in next, and I suppose for me, as I'm covering a fair amount on the Saturday. It's the public health session chaired by Nick Sharon in the morning and Helena Pintos, Cores Pinto. So they're looking at various things from abdominal obesity and alcohol and obesity, liver disease. Um, public health reduces burden of mortality and alcohol, smoking and alcohol consumption. So they're looking at a fair range of different sort of social aspects, which will be an interesting set of sessions because I think public health, we all don't leave a perfect life and not one disease is not affected by other people's lifestyle components. So that will bring an interesting context to some of it for me. I agree. And as I mentioned, I'm, I have to fly home on Saturday for memorial service on Sunday. But there's a session at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning as well that you and actually you have a paper in and, and, and also the Jenny Lee paper that you mentioned is there. Amazing. Those two papers, uh, Rohit has a head-to-head -head comparison of MIFID mast and FAST for detecting carrot candidates with stage 2 fibrosis. All five of the papers in this session really look fascinating to me. And the idea that they've got your hitting cleanup feels completely appropriate in, in, a, in a session of power papers. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with three episodes, a pre-easel episode on Monday and same-day recordings both Friday and Saturday. Please join us for all of them. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.